thy kingdom come. I know Barry cracked that open last week, but he wasn't going to steal all my thunder on that. So, And I haven't been in the pulpit for a couple of weeks, so um, hopefully I'm not going to end up being long-winded or anything crazy like that. Um, but I do want to start off by yesterday, quote of the week. Quote of the week. Ready for a quote of the week? This is the quote of the week. So I believe it was yesterday, the day before, uh, President Zelensky of the Ukraine, as Russian forces advanced on Kiev, the Americans offered to evacuate President Zelensky from Kiev. They offered to evacuate him. And his response is quote of the week. His response was, the fight is here. I need ammunitions, not a ride. Wow. I need ammunition, not a ride. Come on. Now, the reason that quote struck me as we're talking about the kingdom today is so many times, you know, we get into a battle with the enemy and we look for an escape. We're saying, God, would you just give me a ride? Would you take me away from this? And God says, well, what I actually want to do is give you the ammunition to win the fight rather than run away from the fight. Are you hearing me this morning? And too many times as Christians, we think retreat before we think, you know, defeat the enemy. Hello? We, we, we think retreat before we think, how can I win? What, what arsenal does God want to put at my disposal so that I win this spiritual campaign rather than run from this spiritual campaign? Is anybody with me this morning? And, and so we need to understand the authority that we have in the kingdom of God because many times God doesn't want you to retreat. He wants you to engage. And he says, I've given you all authority in heaven and earth to be able to win this war instead of back away from this war. Amen? Praise the Lord. Wow. That's a pretty good introduction, isn't it? Hallelujah. Wow. Well, you know, so far we've looked at, uh, in talking about the Lord's Prayer, how Jesus taught us to pray. And why is this significant? Because the disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is what this Jesus taught them, is what we affectionately call the Lord's Prayer. And so we've been breaking that down. You know, we talked about the uh, first phrase, our Father. What does that mean? What does it mean? We come to God as children of God, as sons and daughters. We don't come as outsiders, foreigners, but as family. And then we talked about who art in heaven, that God's position is where he's called us up to so that when we pray, we pray from heavenly places seated with Christ Jesus. And so we pray with a heavenly authority over the realms of this world. And then the Bible says that the heaven is the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. So in other words, what God's saying is I've given you authority in this realm and you get to pray from this realm and bring it to this realm. Amen. So then we talked about holy is your name. Actually, Mark took care of that. And, uh, this week we want to talk about and continue on with where Barry cracked open last week about the kingdom uh, of God. And so when you read the Gospels, how many like reading the Gospels? I love reading the Gospels. Uh, you know, the reason I like the Gospels is because Jesus and everything Jesus said and, and taught that's recorded is in the Gospels. And so I love it. Bill Johnson, I love his quote. He says, that Jesus, he said, is perfect theology. So in other words, what he's saying is if you want to get to know the Father, then study Jesus. Study what Jesus said. Study what Jesus taught. Study all the things that he talked about. You want to understand mercy? Read what Jesus said about mercy. If you want to understand money, read what Jesus said about money, about hell, about giving, about love, about sin, about faith. Read what Jesus said about those things, and you'll get an understanding of what the Father thinks about those things. 
in Jesus, as Paul so eloquently said it in Colossians, I should say, chapter 2, verse 9, he said, all, everybody say all, all the fullness of God, all the fullness of the Godhead was bodily in Jesus. So everything there is to know about God and, 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 and who he is and his identity, he wrapped up and encapsulated in Jesus when Jesus came to earth. So if you want to know God, then look to Jesus. That's why we talk so much about Jesus as Christians, because we believe that Jesus is a reflection of the Father. Jesus even said, if you, if you want to know him, get to know me, right? Amen? Now, as we study the person of Jesus, we need to understand, understand I should say, the message of Jesus. So of all the people that ever walked the earth, no one was more unseparable from their message than Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus and his message are fused together. In fact, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And then it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the, the, the very word of God, the very expression of God was, was tied and fused together with the person of Jesus Christ. So, you know, you can't separate the man from his message. Does everybody understand that this morning? So I think we need to pay very close attention to what Jesus says. Does that make sense? So what did Jesus command and teach? This is a really good question. If I was to ask the average person, what did Jesus teach? Most people would respond, he taught us to love one another. He had lots to say about love. And somebody who's really sharp might even say, and go out that little extra mile and say, Jesus taught us even to love our enemies, right? And so most people would say that the message of Jesus was love. But was that really, was love the core of Jesus' message? He did talk about love a lot. Jesus talked about, uh, you know, love so much that, that, you know, we even say, you know, that he is love, Right? So, I mean, there's the, the New Testament writer certainly picked up on that theme, but I don't believe love was the core message of Jesus. If, if the core message of Jesus was love, then why did they hang him on a cross? If, if Jesus just went around, you know, first century Palestine and all he taught was love, why would you crucify him on a cross? Now, maybe you might say, well, he taught love and he didn't really... Um, embrace all of the religious leaders of his day. Okay, so you could see where maybe some of the religious leaders didn't like him because this Jewish fellow was taking their attention away from them and they liked all the attention. Okay, but, but then why did the Roman soldiers, why did the Roman government crucify him, especially when this, he was, you know, if he was just preaching love, he was, and telling people, love your enemies, you know, for the Romans, that would make Jesus their greatest asset because they were having a lot of trouble handling the Jews in the first century. So if Jesus was coming along and all his message was, was love, love your enemies, the Roman soldiers would have loved him. He would have been their greatest ally in dealing with the Jewish problem. They would have protected a peacemaker like that. The fact of Jesus' crucifixion suggests that the, his core message was something far more contentious and far more scandalous and far more difficult for the people of his day to embrace than just love. So what was it that Jesus preached that got so many people excited, got religious leaders furious who uh, incensed, you know, Pontius Pilate and put him against him that, that, 
that made demons rile and scream at them and yell at them and all the rest. What was this message that Jesus brought that was such an absolutely divisive message for the world at his time and that caused him to take him and put him on a Roman cross? Well, in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we see uh, where Jesus introduced what that message was. It says in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God and saying, this is what he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. The message of Jesus, the message that got him killed was that he came preaching another kingdom. He came preaching not the, the kingdom of the religious order of the Jews and not the kingdom of the Roman government, but the kingdom of God uh, and Jesus being the one that was bringing it to the world. He was bringing a message about another kingdom. And guess what? Kings and rulers and principalities don't like it when somebody brings and introduces another kingdom. And that it was what caused them to cooperate, if you will, with the plan of the Lord and put Jesus on a cross. Amen. I'm going to try switching to the cordless mic now if I can. I just need to mute the stage. Let's check this out, see if it's going to work. There, how's that? Not bad? Can you guys hear me? If it's uh, too loud, you can back me down a little bit. Because um, I don't need that much power. <coughs> <laughs> I do like my hands free, though. There's something about, I, maybe, I don't know, maybe, is it, what is it, the Italians or something that talk with their hands? Help me out. But maybe there's part of that in me. I don't know. But I, I do need to have my hands free. I don't know. I, I, I feel encumbered when I'm holding a microphone. I know Barry likes the microphone. It's one of his, the, the microphone is a prop, you know, and uh, he can put it against his chin or he can wave it around. But me, I got to have my hands free. I got I to gotta talk with my hands. So ah, that's better. Whew, I feel liberated already. Hallelujah. So Jesus' message was the kingdom of God. In a nutshell, he came declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new kingdom in here. There's a new king in town. That is the message that Jesus was bringing. And I think this is important. Did you know that the, the phrase kingdom of God is over 55 times in the Gospels? And in Matthew, the similar synonymous phrase kingdom of heaven appears 31 times. Wow. Have you got the stage muted? There's a button on there that says mute stage. Okay. Um, You know, throughout the accounts of Jesus' ministry, he's always talking about the kingdom of God. And in fact, most of Jesus' parables are parables about the kingdom. He'll say, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. He says that over and over and over again in scriptures. He says it's like a mustard seed, a treasure, a merchant looking for pearls, a king who gave a banquet. He's like constantly saying, this is what the kingdom is like. This is what it's like when I'm establishing my kingdom here on earth. Jesus even defined his purpose in light of the kingdom. Listen to this, Luke 4, verse 43. You might want to write this down. He said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Wow. So if you, given the clarity in Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God, you would think that most people would have a pretty clear picture of the kingdom. 
you would think they would understand what it means. And if we want to understand the ministry of Jesus, then we've got to understand the kingdom. And here's the most important part this morning. If we want to understand how to pray, we have to understand the kingdom. Because here in the prayer that Jesus gave us when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, is these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That phrase is at the very center of Jesus' prayer. And if we don't understand the kingdom of God, how in the world are we ever going to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray? How are we going to be able to pray with authority? How are we going to be able to pray with with purpose and with understanding if we don't understand the very words that Jesus taught us in in the Lord's Prayer? Gordon Fee, who is the New Testament scholar, and professor at Regent College in Vancouver. Is he retired now or is he still teaching a mark, you know? Anyway, he said this, and I've read this quote here before, but it's one of my favorite quotes. Gordon Fee said this. He said, you cannot know anything about Jesus, anything, if you miss the kingdom of God. You are zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. I'm sorry to say it that strongly, but this is the great failure of evangelical Christianity. We have had Jesus without the kingdom of God and therefore have literally done Jesus in. Have I got your attention now? Wow. That is a strong statement. I'm assuming nobody wants to be zero on Jesus here this morning. Let me see your hands. No, we don't want to be zero on Jesus. So if we don't want to be zero on Jesus, then we have to understand the kingdom. If we want to pray effectively, we have to understand the kingdom. If we want to be able to get into our prayer closet and shift the realms around us, we have to understand the kingdom. We have to understand the kingdom. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God has been equated to a lot of things over the last couple of millennia. Some have claimed that when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he was just talking about heaven. So he was basically saying, now when you die, you get to go to heaven. Others have said, no, the kingdom of God was referring to the church. So from their perspective, Jesus was coming and saying, "Um, I'm going to give you the church. And the church will be the kingdom of God. Others have taken Jesus' announcement as a a call to action. So we were to advance, uh, you know, the social gospel, doing good deeds in the name of Jesus. And in recent times, some people have inclined to reduce the kingdom of God to this inner awareness of our own personal divinity, and that that's all it's talking about. And I think all of these interpretations fail to take seriously all the things that Jesus said about the kingdom. What did he actually say? What did the Old Testament prophets actually say about the kingdom? Did they, were they just talking about some inner peace that you would find? No, they were talking about an actual kingdom that would come. Why did so many miss Jesus? Why do most Jews still miss Jesus today? It's because they were so focused on the kingdom that when it didn't manifest in, in you know, the overthrow of the Roman government and all of those things at the time, they completely missed who Jesus was because they were so transfixed on a physical kingdom. Right? I would, would say to you today that they're actually probably closer to understanding it than many Christians are today. That we don't take seriously Christ's invocation. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. 
That's what he taught us to pray. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom, he was talking about a very specific word. And that word is basileia. If you look it up in the Greek, you'll see the phrase, hey basileia tau theo, which is Greek and it means the kingdom of God. And that word basileia needs to be understood. And sometimes that word could refer to a locale or an area that a king ruled over. But the primary meaning of that word basileia in the New Testament was reign or rule or authority. It becomes really clear in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 12, where you have the story where the, the nobleman went away to receive authority over his kingdom. So this was already a kingdom that was already his. It was his to have, but he, he, for some whatever reason, he didn't feel he had the authority for it. And he needed to go to a higher authority and receive that authority. And the word authority there is actually basileia. So he's going and he's, he was saying in that parable, I needed to receive the authority to operate in the realm where I already was. And that is essentially what Jesus is saying to us when he tells us to take a hold of the kingdom, to, to you know, live out his kingdom, to advance his kingdom. He means to take the basileia, the authority of heaven, and live it out in this realm. He's not telling us to go to a different area. He's not saying, you know, leave Canada and go find some little pocket where it used to be the Garden of Eden and then rule there. No, no. He's saying take the authority and exercise it right where you are. Right where you are. When Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God has come near, he doesn't mean a place is approaching. He means there's an authority here now that has come through Jesus Christ. The, the power to rule and to reign had arrived. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, God's reign is at hand. God's power is being unleashed. Turn your life around and put your trust in the good news. Put your trust in the fact that now, he says, I have given to you all authority. It's yours. It's yours. Now you understand what God him crucified. That is not a message that is going to get ignored. It's not a message that's going to say, oh, yeah, that Jesus guy, he's just talking about love over there in Galilee. He's got all the disciples just hugging everybody. He is just, you know, he is the best friend of all the religious leaders and all the Roman soldiers. I mean, he just, we just love him. Mm-mm. Can you imagine? I mean, all of the leaders from uh, Caesar to Pontius Pilate, they feared the man. And ironically, they feared him before he ever began to preach. I mean, when Jesus was born, doesn't the story say that the wise men came and they went to him and he said, where is this king that is to be born? King of the Jews. And they told him in Bethlehem. And, and then when he said, well, when you, after you found him, come back and report to me. And the wise men got a word from the Lord not to do that. And they went home another way. And so then what did he do? Right? What did Herod do? He, he ordered all of the infants, male infants, to an under to be killed because he was threatened. Was he threatened by a lover? He was threatened by a king. He was threatened by a king who was coming to, in his mind, take my kingdom away. So even in his birth, Jesus was king and he was bringing his kingdom.
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The time, Jesus said repeatedly, is now. The kingdom is here. It's at hand. So when Jesus came, he came to establish kingdom. Now, the preaching of salvation and dealing with sin and all the rest of that is necessary. We need to deal with the sin equation. Jesus came and shed his life and his blood on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could be redeemed, but not just so you could go to heaven. He redeemed us so that we could engage in his kingdom, so that we could do the work of his kingdom, so that we could actually walk in the authority of his kingdom and literally shift this world for the glory of God. Now, I'm not one of these people who believes that, you know, we're just going to keep working and working and working until we make the world perfect and then Jesus will come back. No. But I am one of these people who believes that as we preach the gospel, the the impact of the kingdom will grow. Just as evil grows, the impact of the kingdom is going to grow. And at the end, he's going to separate the wheat from the tares and we're going to all be received up into his presence. Amen. But the Bible tells us until he comes, what are we supposed to do? There's this word occupy, which literally doesn't mean just sit like this. It means to take your territory and stand with control over your territory until I come back. It means to have have won this piece of land and occupy it until I get back. Amen? That's what we're called to do. So, there's this fun, fun word in Greek called kerygma. And this Greek word means the preaching of. Right? That's what it means. And it is the proclamation or preaching is what the word kerygma means. And What do we mean by the kerygma then of the kingdom? What does it mean to preach and declare the kingdom? And I think this is significant because Jesus said this phrase many times that he came with the kerygma of the basileia, the kingdom, the the preaching of the kingdom. And we we can't take our preaching about salvation and, and remove it from the context of the kingdom. We're not trying to get people saved just so they can go to heaven. We want people's lives transformed by Jesus Christ so that they can shift every environment around them now. Isn't that why even the jailer who, 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 you know, got saved, Jesus said, you know, repent and you'll be saved and what? Your house. In other words, it wasn't just supposed to stop at him. He gets his experience. He gets to go to heaven. No, his entire sphere is going to be shifted because of what he experiences in Jesus Christ. Amen. That when we encounter Christ, it starts with our home, with our family, then it spreads out to our relatives, our neighbors, our friends, that Christ comes into me so that he can live and express himself out through me to shift the world around me. Yes. Are you hearing me this morning? This is the preaching of the kingdom. When God created the world, he created a kingdom. When God created the earth, do you know what he was creating? He was creating a place to express himself over again. A place where his love and his life and his hope would be walked out and lived out amongst the people that he loved and he created in his own image. And he placed them in the garden and he said, it's yours. Go and enjoy. Right? But then sin came in, and what sin did was separate us from our kingdom mandate. It separated us from that authority and that, that, that we had over the realm that was supposed to submit to us, and it manifests in very practical ways. 
Before uh, the fall, they didn't even have to work to yield anything from the ground. It just came. How many are gardeners here? How many know now you got to bring it under subjection? You got to bring it under your authority. You got to train that ground to do what you want it to do. You got to put the right seed in there. You got to take care of it. You got to weed it. You got to make sure it gets enough water. You got to do all those things, but it does yield to you because you have authority over it. Amen. You don't just put the seed in the ground and say, oh, well, Jesus, I'm just hoping for something to come up. No, you live out your authority. Your authority causes you to do things, to make sure to take care of that seed, to nurture that seed, to make sure it brings forth the abundant harvest that you're looking for. You exercise your authority over the ground. You do the same thing with livestock. You do the same thing with chickens, whatever. You don't just let the chickens run around anywhere else, laying their eggs any place they want. You can't collect them if they're laid all over your 20-acre lot. No, you got them in a, in a chicken coop, and they, you've created a, a perimeter around them, and the chickens have only so much limited space in which they can go, and you exercise an authority over them so they yield for you in that season. You tyrannical farmer, you oppressing that poor chicken so that it has to lay eggs for you and then one day lay its life down for you. But you have authority in that area, right? Hello? Is anybody, are you getting what I'm saying? Well, why is it any different spiritually? That we have the exact same thing presented before us, the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, all authority that I've received, I give to who? You. And, and that doesn't mean you just sit, get saved and you sit back and go, oh, Jesus, yes, I'm going to go to heaven and everybody's going to come with me. Well, they aren't if you don't get up and exercise your authority. Hello? That doesn't mean you have to be obnoxious. Doesn't mean you have to be weird and loud and strange. But it does mean you have to recognize the authority, the mantle that rests on you. And that you can pray for situations, you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, you can speak to demons and they have to leave. I mean, the Bible's very specific about the authority and how it manifests through your life in this realm today. Amen? Praise the Lord. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. He says, in the end, Jesus will deliver his kingdom to God, the Father. So in the end, what will he deliver? His kingdom to God the Father. Not just souls saved. He's going to deliver his kingdom to God the Father. So when we, our charisma, our message, our preaching, shouldn't be just get saved. needs to be take your place around the Father's table and advance the kingdom of God. You're being invited and called in to the company of God to exercise God's authority here on earth. And anything short of that is not the gospel. Anything short of that is escapism. And that's what much of the preaching of the gospel looks like. You want to avoid the fires of hell? Get saved. Right? But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. Some people maybe got motivated to get saved but to, to escape the flames of hell. And, and if that motivated you to get saved, great. But don't stop there. That's what happened when we stop there. We go, well, I got my ticket, right? So now I can go do whatever I want. No. God says, I redeemed you so you could join me in changing the world around you. And it's literally the gospel that we believed for about 1,800 years. 
certainly from the Reformation forward. But in then the last 100, 150 years, we, we backed away from that. We started preaching this gospel of, you know, one day Jesus is going to rapture the church. We're all just going to go. So I hear, I've literally had Christians tell me when I start talking about engaging with their neighbors and, and, and writing to politicians and doing this and doing that. I've literally had believers tell me, well, it's all going to go to, to hell anyway. So we, you know, why do we bother? I've literally had people say, well, you know, God says in his Bible, it's all going to, it's all going to burn. So, oh, so we should just ride it out and do nothing until Jesus comes back. That's not how the church thought for hundreds of years. Look around at the hospitals in this country. How many of them were built by Christians? Almost all of them. Look at your universities. How many of them were established by Christians? The YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association. Agencies, organizations, schools, uh, universities, hospitals, you name it. And even today, I mean, how many people have done any extensive mission work? Put your hand up. Have you done work? Sure. And, and when you've traveled, what have you run into around the world? Atheists for global support. Huh? Never heard of it. Why? Because it doesn't exist. What have I run into? Christian organization after Christian organization after Christian organization working and serving and loving the world as Jesus did. Re reaching out, building buildings, building hospitals, building schools, shaping the world with the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what I've seen. Are you hearing me today? Amen. All right. So let me conclude this morning because I'm out of time. All right. What does all this have to do with the Lord's Prayer? Everything. The true message of Jesus, the kingdom of God, is at the very heart of how he taught the disciples to pray. And we'll expand more on this next week, but he taught the disciples to pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. That was the prayer, the cry of Jesus. And when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus said, pray like this. Your kingdom come. Father, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Jesus, in his teaching to the disciples on how to pray, was focused on God's kingdom. And he said to the disciples, this is how you need to pray. God, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom advance. May your kingdom grow. May your kingdom expand. May your kingdom fill the earth. That is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Sure, we, we still want to see people get saved. Of course we do. Because you have to get rid of the sin problem in order to be able to get a seat around the table so that you can hear the heart of God and his plans for taking over the world. Right? So the biggest problem with sin is it gets in the way of what God wants to do. But don't make sin the focus of your preaching and your message. Make the person's potential in the kingdom the focus of your preaching and your message. When I meet people and start talking to them about Jesus, I don't talk about how dirty, a filthy, rotten sinner I was. I was one. And probably worse than most of you. I admit that. 
But I don't make that the focus of it. When I meet somebody and I'm talking about God, I talk about all the good things of the Lord and all the things that he wants to do in and through them. And most people I encounter, I would say, except for the narcissists, most people I encounter are very aware of their sins. They're very aware they're not perfect. They don't need me to beat them over the head a few more times to just make sure they understand clearly that they're not good enough. They get that. They know that they need help. So then what do I do? I preach to them the one who's come to help them. I declare to them the one that wants to shift them, the one that wants to take them from where they are and put them in a place so incredible, so amazing that they actually get to be with the creator of the universe and hear his heart for the world. We preach that gospel and people say, can I get some of that? I want that. And then we let the Holy Spirit speak to them about all the stuff in their life that he wants to clear away so he can work through them. Amen? So we endeavor to get people saved, get them into the kingdom. That's what we're endeavoring. Get them into the kingdom. And then we don't want, that's why discipleship is so important. You understand, discipleship isn't just about teaching people the Bible. It's about teaching people the kingdom. It's about equipping them so that they can fulfill God's plan for them in the kingdom. That's why we disciple people. I hate it when churches only focus on getting people saved. Seriously. I hear guys say, well, you know, I had this meeting in this place and 350 people got saved. And I say, okay, well, how many of them are being discipled? Right? Why, why, why birth illegitimate children? Why create orphans? When they come to Christ, they need to be discipled. Why? Because Christ redeemed them with purpose. He has a plan for them. And he wants them to experience that plan. So if you just lead them to Christ and don't ever help them discover the plan, you've aborted the purposes of God. Discipleship is so important because it's about helping people understand their role in the kingdom and be able to live that out. And we've put so much focus on just getting people saved. We don't focus on teaching them about the kingdom. And equipping them so that they can shift the environments around them. That they can exercise the authority God's given to them. That they can live out the purposes that God has created for them. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. What does he have for you? Plans. He doesn't say, oh, I I know the mansion I have for you, says the Lord. No, no, no. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. I have purposes for you. I got things I want you to do. And there's stuff that you can do, nobody else can do. There's relationships and connections you have that I don't have. And God says, I want all of you together to find out your purpose and get it done. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus meant when he said, on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom, Lord. Now, let me be clear. Like I said. I'm not of this camp that believes we just keep working and working and working until we make it perfect and Jesus will come back to it because it's now perfect. But I believe that's closer to the truth than the gospel that says just get people saved and they can wait till they go to heaven. At least the prior gets them engaged. 
doesn't have them sitting around twiddling their thumbs until Jesus comes back. Right? No, I believe that I, we're, we're never going to eradicate all the evil in the world until Jesus comes back. We're never going to get rid of all the, the, the tyrants of the world and all the rest of it until Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, I've got spheres of influence and I'm going to exercise that until he and his inestimable wisdom says it's time to come back and to establish my eternal element of the kingdom. I'm here to build his kingdom to that point. Amen? That's what I'm here to do. And there is no room for us to sit around and just... My least favorite word in the English language. Anybody know what it is? Barry does. What is it, Barry? Serendipitous. I hate that word. There's actually a serendipity Bible. I know what they meant by it. I hate it. In my experience, in my experience, everybody say in your experience, but I hope it's yours as well. The good things in life aren't serendipitous. The good things in life come about because of living purposefully. Hello? You don't retire a millionaire serendipitously. Hello? Oh, I was just sitting around and it all got dropped in my lap. <laughs> no. It happens because you invested and you planned and you worked and you sacrificed when you were younger. As Dave Ramsey would said, you live like no one else so later you could live like no one else. There's no serendipitous about it. Hello? I almost have to take a shower every time I hear that word. Drives me nuts. It's not how life happens. You know, your kids aren't going to grow up to be you know, giants in the kingdom serendipitously. You know, I, I, I have parents who, in all seriousness, have said to me, well, you know, we stopped bringing our kids to church because we want them to choose their own path. What a crock of nonsense that is. That is just, you're just eating up a bunch of gobbledygook given to you by the left, liberal left-wing Lulu Bin weenies out there. Hello? The Bible says this, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. It doesn't say they won't rebel. They might. They might. But they'll still come around if you train them. It doesn't say just serendipitously let them make their own choices and then one day they'll serve Jesus. No. Oh my word. And the world's not serendipitous about it. They're pumping stuff at your kids every day, 24 hours a day. You know, all kinds of nonsense that has nothing to do with the word. You need to be intentional about it. That's a word I like, intentional. Serendipitous, hate it. Intentional, love it. I'm intentional in my life. I'm intentional about my relationship with my wife. I've been intentional about it for 38 years, as I discovered the other day. Last Saturday night, I was preaching in Frankfurt, and uh, we've married 36 years, right? She goes, 35, 37, 38 in May, 38. So, but I've been very intentional, not serendipitous about our relationship. 
I've been very intentional about loving her, very intentional about keeping my vows to her, very intentional about being committed to her, providing for her, giving shelter to her, opening life up for her in any way that I possibly can. I'm intentional about it. I'm not serendipitous about it. Oh, serendipitous sounds romantic. Oh, we just get together. We just let Jesus love us. and We just see where it all goes. Thank you. Hogwash. Love your wife. Love your husband. Love's a verb, by the way, not a noun. Love them. Be intentional about it. Park that serendipity nonsense and be intentional about it. Hello? Prove that your love for your spouse is more than an afterthought. You know? Hello? Am I making any sense to anybody? Like, just name any area of your life, your work, your relationships, your, 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 your health, uh, your finances, anything. Serendipity doesn't cause any of them to advance and be better. Intentionality does. Purposefulness does. And that's what Jesus was teaching us in the Lord's Prayer. Be purposeful about the kingdom. Be purposeful about my my plans for you and for the world. Be intentional about it. Go about my business, my kingdom. Jesus said, I'm here. I'm about my father's business. That's what I'm doing. That's who we are. That's what Jesus was teaching us in the Lord's Prayer. How does that affect how we pray? Every time we get down to pray, we should be saying, God, what do you want to do to advance your kingdom through me today? If you're a business owner, what does God want to do through you and your business that's going to change somebody's life today? If you're in some kind of ministry, what does God want to do? If you're in the service industry, what does God want to do? How does he want to use you to improve the life of somebody today? So that when, if they don't know Jesus, they're going to see that you love them, you care for them, you serve them, you're around them, you're providing the best for them more than anybody else. And they're going to say, what gives? Why are you so driven to do this? Because of the kingdom of God. Hello? Amen. Stand up with me this morning. If you love the word serendipity, I apologize. But I still hate it. Uh, It's one of my pet peeves. I admit it. I can't help myself. I want you to know that Jesus loves you and that Jesus has a plan for you. He has purpose for you. That your life will not, however, unfold serendipitously. It'll happen because you intentionally get close to the Father and find out what it is He wants you to do. That you get into His Word and you search out the nature of the transformation that's supposed to take place in my life. So that I can align myself with his heart and with his plan. So that there's nothing in the way of him speaking to me. So that I can fulfill his purpose for my life. That's what Jesus is calling you to do. That's what he was saying in the Lord's Prayer. Amen. Just raise your hands out like this this morning. and Hold them up to heaven. Jesus, we lift up our hands to you today and we say, Father, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done done. on earth earth. as it is is. in heaven heaven. through me me. in Jesus name.
Amen. Father, we receive that today. We recognize that to be the truth. We understand better today, Lord, what Jesus was trying to get across to the disciples. Lord, we now, Lord, today with this understanding, devote ourselves to getting on our hands and our faces before God, on our knees before God and saying, Lord, what is it that you have that you want to do through me today, tomorrow, through the next five years of my life? God, what is your plan and your purpose through me? And Father, we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Thanks for being here. We look forward to seeing you next week.